Welcome to the Piggy Bank Chronicles, a podcast about money, investing, and bringing home the bacon. And we are live. Hey, JJ, how are you doing today? I'm good, Don. How are you? Doing pretty good. We got a really special topic today, one that's close to the heart, uh, but not close to my brain. Um, Something I have a lack of understanding is today's topic is mutual funds and exchange traded funds so mfs versus etfs uh one starts with et the other starts with an m they both end in fun <laughs> fun so they're both um, fun is what you're saying right <laughs> they're both very fun <laughs> okay very fun uh now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> what, what is a mutual fund uh and I, i'll give the the textbook definition answer because i'm still fuzzy on how to put it eloquently but it is a financial vehicle that pulls assets from shareholders to invest in securities like stocks bonds money market instruments and other assets which are operated by professional money managers Uh, whereas an etf is a pooled investment security that operates like a mutual fund but it will track a particular index sector commodity or other asset that can be purchased and sold daily on a stock exchange during trading hours. And so they're similar, but they're different. But how so? I'm going to let JJ take it away. Oh, well, gee, thanks. (laughs) I thought you did a pretty good job. Well, I guess for full disclosure, I thought Investopedia did a really good job of providing those those definitions for us. But um, okay, so where do you want me to start? Uh, you want to talk about mutual funds? You want to talk about exchange-traded funds? What's your beliefs? So, I'd say I, I want to start with exchange-traded funds okay. uh, and and how they operate and differ from, from mutual. But what what is like uh, an ETF and how does it work? Yeah, so I think ETFs are younger than mutual funds. I think they've had birthdays more recently in terms of how old they are, but... They've been around for a while, um, probably three decades or more. And essentially, under the hood, a lot of their behavior to an individual investor may look like a mutual fund because they're sort of trying to do the same thing. But the difference is mutual funds are pools of money that buy the underlying assets. And when you buy or sell things, they calculate the value at the end of the day and they will sell you shares or give you redemption on shares based on what the value was at the time that that occurred. ETFs are unique in that once they get created, they can be traded on stock exchanges just like a stock ticker. So their price will vary up and down over the course of a given trading day. And so they're a lot more liquid an instrument than a mutual fund. Because if you wanted to sell a mutual fund, you could send an order to your broker that says, I want to sell this fund, but they won't do it till the end of the day. But if you want to sell an ETF, you can do it like right away, like just like a stock. It'll There's a buyer and you're a seller, it'll go. Or if you're a buyer and there's a seller out there, you can buy it in the same way. So that's probably the key difference is the liquidity of the ETF over a mutual fund. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So 
an ETF kind of has more ownership than the mutual fund in terms of like individual ownership? So, no, I think it acts sort of like, so that's a good question. I, I would say to me, it acts more like, almost like a company, but not quite, right? Because it's sort of the self-contained entity. So, um, ETFs, and, and Don, you're rapidly heading into territory where I'm going to get lost in the sauce here, but <laughs> ETFs have this, this concept called a, um, an authorized participant which is this cool sounding name for an authorized participant, whatever the heck that is. And these guys essentially will do these creation or redemption events on an ETF and they'll do them in bundles, typically either when the thing is being launched or when it's trading at a discount or a premium to the net asset value of the underlying assets. That's a bunch of fancy marky, harky malarkey to say, the process by which ETFs are created and 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 redeemed is different than a mutual fund, but the ownership of the ETF is basically the same. It's just its price is based on how many units of it exist on the market and what the value of the underlying assets is, and then it trades up and down a little bit, kind of like like it were a stock, but it's probably never going to drift very far from the value of the underlying assets. Because if it does start to drift too far from the value of the underlying assets, these authorized participants will either start creating or redeeming shares, which pulls it back towards the actual net asset value of those assets. That's a lot of harky-parky answer to just say, yeah, nah, there's they're about the same number of, however many, shares outstanding there are is how many owners they have basically okay i don't, I don't so, know if that made sense or not but <laughs> yeah yeah I've, i'll follow it for for sure well so how how would you know what an etf is is tracking like one thing i see is like you know you can see that it is an etf but what, how do you know what you know the underlying assets of an etf are or even a mutual fund uh well you can go to various online sites you can go to yahoo finance or morningstar or um i i tend to go for that question i tend to go to seekingalpha.com they've got a if you look up say here i'm i'm, I'm looking at seekingalpha.com right now and i'm looking at an etf page so it's the etf is ticker symbol is vti it's the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF. And if you scroll down towards the middle of the page, there's this thing called a fund profile. And essentially, they will tell you there um, what the fund is, what it's trying to do. And in, in the case of this one, it says, the investment seeks to track the performance of the CRSP U.S. Total Market Index that measures the investment return of the overall stock market. So CRSP, U.S. Total Market Index, is actually an index that's published by an organization. And what they're saying is their fund attempts to mirror that index by owning the assets in the index at the same proportions. It says the fund employs an indexing investment approach designed to track the performance of the index, which represents approximately 100% of the investable U.S. stock market and includes large, mid, small, and micro-cap stocks. 
Uh, by, it invests by sampling the index, meaning it holds broadly diversified collection of securities that in the aggregate approximates the full index in terms of key characteristics. So that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but basically what they're saying is it's trying to, in this case, this is an index ETF, and it's trying to match the performance of the index that it's being modeled off of. Um, if it were, and I'm trying to think of a good example, but if it were a mutual fund that was an, act, uh, an ETF that maybe had more active management underneath, rather than modeling an index, it might be just trying to do something. Like it might be a sector. Uh, like, okay. Yeah. And I so I have a follow-up question. So like an index, like it's a, a lot of different companies. How would So they said for this one, for example, CRSP has 4,000 um, for all the different market cap companies. Is there a way you would find all the different companies CRSP is following? Would it be the same seeking alpha lookup for CRSP? So seeking alpha doesn't publish the full list. Like um, I think they typically will publish the top 10 holdings. If you go to Morningstar, I think they publish the top 25 holdings. If you go to the, I believe the, I, I so I, I'm not sure with a mutual fund, every year you get the sort of prospectus for the mutual fund. Are they released? They're required to release statements. And those statements, when they release them, I think they tell you what the underlying assets are at a moment in time. But they typically won't tell you from you know day to day what the underlying asset makeup is that I'm aware of. But I don't know with ETFs. It's a really good question. I I don't think I've ever gotten a statement from a relative to an ETF saying, you know, here's here's the here's what's in this ETF. Okay. Yeah. So it's never mainly about a it. overarching like we operate in this industry and we follow this index. Um and they're kind of really managing the the product that we're investing. Yeah, I mean, obviously their goal is to achieve the result they're looking for. And so these days with computer managed portfolios, I think these companies have gotten really good at managing, particularly with index funds. They're really good at tracking the index that they're modeled after. And so... Typically, they're going to perform almost identically to it, in which case you can be reasonably confident that what's under the hood is probably mostly what's in that index. Um, yeah, but it's a good yeah. question. I don't know the answer. Yeah, do I get, I do I get minus points for not knowing the answer? <laughs> no, you get bonus points. So. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> We're still both learning. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, now, now you make me want to go do more research. I'm not sure how yeah. you would find that out. <laughs> no. I mean, you can't just go look up the index because the index is something that the people, they're not making the index for fun. They want to sell you that information, right? So I, I, right. Believe, I believe these fund companies subscribe to these services to get the what's in the index. I may be wrong in saying that, but I know I've tried to look up indexes in the past and they're like, oh, look, here, you want to subscribe? You can find out what's in our index. Yeah, pay for it. <laughs> Trust us. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm too cheap to buy index data. It would be yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Okay, and so that's ETFs. So how does a mutual fund differ in comparison to 
you know, essentially a, a stock ticker tracking um, securities. Well, mutual funds are exactly what they say they are. They're mutual funds. They're cooperatives, if you will, that are managed by someone. So if you and I put our money in a mutual fund, they pull it together and go buy assets on our behalf to generate growth. And um, I guess they differ in a couple of ways. They Mutual funds are um, the purchases and sales occur like after hours. So at the end of a trading day, they'll look at all the underlying assets and they'll calculate the net asset value of the fund. And then they'll cal they know how many shares are outstanding at that moment in that fund. And so they calculate the net asset value per share. And then if you're trying to buy additional shares, they will sell them to you based on that calculated value. And so you can buy odd lots because they will you can just send them a round number and they will give you a fraction fractional share in the mutual fund um, most of the time when you're investing in your 401k if you look at it you'll see like you own fractional shares of a mutual fund because it's reinvesting money at, at fractional rates or it's investing money that doesn't round up to a whole share, so it just buys a fractional share. ETFs are like stocks on the exchange, so typically they're bought in whole shares instead. Um, interestingly enough, from a automated investing standpoint, it makes mutual funds easier to work with than ETFs, because if you're setting up your own automation and you're saying, I'm gonna invest $500 a month in my uh, Roth IRA, and I want to auto invest in X. Well, if you're auto investing in a mutual fund, it'll it'll just go. But if you're auto investing in an ETF and your broker doesn't allow you to buy fractional shares in an ETF, that's more complicated to work out, right? So then other things that are different is like mutual funds. Again, they're valued at the end of the day where ETFs are traded on the exchange. And then lastly, I guess from a tax perspective, um, because the redemption of share, you know, because underneath the mutual fund they're buying and selling assets to balance it out there's a pass-through effect for taxes so if there was a big glut of redemptions on the fund and it had to sell a bunch of shares to facilitate those redemptions everyone who was an owner of the fund at that time would record a taxable event for a cap for capital gains even if you didn't sell the fund right so because the underlying assets were sold you'll get a pass-through effect of taxes that will come to you which could kind of stink so not always ideal if you're dealing with a taxable account but probably not the biggest consideration by far they, they, as a result people will say that etfs tend to be more tax efficient but i think that's a it's a generally weak argument for why you might hold an etf over a mutual fund honestly they're really really similar and you really are going to be fine for the most part with either one. Neither one's going to necessarily be amazing and neither one's going to be terrible. They're, they're, they're going to give you the same, you know, I think we were talking about it earlier. Like we looked at the, we were talking about the Vanguard total stock market ETF, the VTI. And then we talked about the Vanguard total stock market index fund VTSAX. Well, we looked at a 10-year chart on VTI and VTSAX, and they were identical. One, one is a 
an ETF, one is a mutual fund, they both track the same index, and they had exactly the same performance over the last 10 years as of our recording date here in early February. So, uh, you know, from a, from a long-term investment perspective, either one is fine. Yeah. The, uh, a fund is going to be fun. <laughs> Basically what I'm hearing. Did you make a joke? Was that a joke? I, I think I've made a couple. I think I've tried. tried well, I appreciate your effort. I mean, how do you make mutual funds and etfs exciting for people i mean i feel like we should have we should have written a song don there should be a song right now <laughs> yeah uh we're, we're gonna pull a spongebob each letter is uh about friendship and uh <laughs> i i <it'll> go <laughs> i will let you sing the first verse and i promise i will chime in afterwards go ahead it'll be fine and go Okay, no. Uh, give me five, <laughs> five, five years, uh, $100,000, a record deal, and then maybe I'll get one and, song. And then we'll talk? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, what else can I, what other, what other bad answers can I provide about mutual funds and ETFs? So I, I know we, we pretty much said they're the same, but does one better than the other? What, what would. What would be like the true decision of whether I want to buy the ETF or I want to buy the mutual fund? Uh, I don't know. I if 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 you if you're really OCD and you're a control freak over liquidity, an ETF is a more liquid instrument than a fund because the ETF can be sold during the trading day, while the fund can't be sold till the close of the trading day. That's a really nominal difference. Um, if um, you were a options trader, if you wanted to do puts or calls, and we haven't really talked about those, and that's not the realm of the beginning investor, but if you were uh, ETFs because they're traded instruments, you could put options on them, whereas mutual funds you can't. Um, ultimately, though, for most sensible long-term investing, I think either one is fine. I. I have both. I have mutual funds and I have ETFs and I don't I don't know that I have a bias of one over the other. I, I may have more ETFs today. Excuse me, the okay. mutual funds, but it's six of one half dozen of another in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it sounds like you really can't go wrong with a fund. So. Yeah, I mean I you know, I, I I think you can go wrong with the fund if you choose the wrong one, but you're not necessarily choosing mutual fund versus ETF isn't what's going to cause you to choose the wrong fund, right? It, there are other considerations that will cause you to choose the wrong fund, like um, I don't know, it, maybe maybe you bought maybe you bought a, a actively managed mutual fund for travel and leisure as your first adult investment and maybe it didn't I don't know go anywhere and maybe you sold it years later and barely made any money and learned a valuable lesson that sector funds weren't always the best investment maybe I'm not saying that happened to anybody I'm not saying that happened to me Don I'm just saying it could have happened to somebody right I mean hypothetically I could have made I mean someone could have made that mistake <laughs> yeah Cool. It might be slightly more than hypothetical, but let's just leave it at hypothetical for now. So, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you think haven't, that you haven't lived to be lost our, <laughs> yeah i think that wraps up our our mutual fund and etf fund combo yeah that leads into some... our our uh our bacon bit bacon bit of the day oh no so so this is yeah this is so this is your bacon bit so let hit me with it man what are we what are we yes. bacon bidding on this episode? So uh, it's bacon bit books, uh, and there's three of them. Uh, one for business, bacon bit books business. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. Three, you you almost got there, man. You had it. <laughs> this self-improvement and personal enjoyment. We got our picks for these three categories of books um, of what we've enjoyed uh, so far from reading or listening, in my case, because I much rather listen to an audiobook than read it um, okay we have to have a, a momentary conversation about this whole thing when people say oh i love to read audible i'm like yes. okay that's that's not actually reading that's like listening yeah, i love to read that's that's reading <laughs> that's okay. modern day reading <laughs> my mama didn't raise no fool that's not reading that's listening. now don't get me wrong i i recently listened to an audiobook and i enjoyed the audiobook but it's not actually reading. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's slower than reading. So, I mean, you know, I think it's it's less efficient reading, but I I, I enjoy it a lot more um, than actually following with my eyes. So are all the things, all the books that you listed, did you read all of them you read through Audible or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Except for Perks of Being a Wallflower, I did read it um from a book uh but oh, then i i, I read spoilers. it time, so i also read it from oh yeah <laughs> i also read it from my phone uh, i used to do ebooks um before audible was really a thing um well okay that's cool i mean i don't i don't i it's i yeah i obviously i'm just being silly i mean it's i i listen to podcasts all the time so listening to books isn't a big deal but it yeah. is interesting to me that so many people today describe themselves as being avid readers and what they're saying is they're avid audible listeners and it's just curious how we've because the the media is a book we think of ourselves as readers that's i just i just thought it was interesting that's all yeah yeah i agree uh, if if <laughs> uh, these are books not uh not, not favorite read things because there's nothing i could say i enjoy reading <laughs> there are very very few that uh, I just I struggle to read. I always have. What so. are you talking about? The scripts to our podcasts are awesome, aren't? They? I mean, we don't actually have scripts; we just have notes. But I mean, my notes yeah, are like a work of art. What's that? And this is all I live. I don't know what you're talking about. Whenever uh, I read a definition that I said I knew nothing about, that was straight from the brain. Oh my gosh! Listen to this guy. Okay. <laughs> It just you just memorize everything and and just 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 for full credit, even though we didn't say it earlier, we'll put the links to a couple of pages on Investopedia to reference the material we talked about earlier in the podcast. So, not trying to take credit for other people's work, we'll definitely include those links in the podcast. So, absolutely. All and right, so go ahead. You can Don. get you can get started on our our first and favorite business book. Okay, so. This is not the best business book. This might not even be in the top 10 business books, but I have to put it on the list because I feel like for young people, they need to read it. The book is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was written 
by Robert T. Kiyosaki, and it was published in 1997. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad is essentially the tale of this guy, Robert, who growing up obviously had his own father who was a professor in academia, and what he considered his rich dad, which his best friend's father, who is a high school graduate and a self-made businessman. And the lessons he learned from both of those father figures in his life. And essentially, the reason this book has to be required reading for anyone, I don't know, your age, Don, if you haven't read this book yet, is, or listened to it, <laughs> is because he talks about the difference between an asset and a liability. And he talks about the difference between rich people and the poor and the middle class. And simply put, if you're rich you buy assets. And if you're poor middle class, you buy liabilities masquerading as assets. And that's it. And that whole concept is something that if someone of your age learns it, it will change the course of their life. But if they don't learn it, it will also change the course of their life. The first in a very positive way, the second in a very not particularly positive and more mediocre way, I guess. But um, So not the best book ever written, but those lessons on assets versus liability and the behavior of rich versus the behavior of the poor and middle class are really powerful and, and really important to learn at a very early age, I think. I, w I wish this book had been around... I wish I had read this book when I was your age. I, di I didn't read it till I was much older than you are now, so... There you go. That's that's my story. I, I have read that book and I, I did enjoy it too. Uh, you know, McDonald's isn't a burger company; it's a real estate company. Uh, it is a lot of yeah. <laughs> interesting <laughs> ideas and and ways to to think about you know money uh, between the rich and poor uh, POV point of view. And so, yeah, I, I definitely have liked that book too. Is one of the the first I ever read. Uh, All right, we're going to learn about uh, money. Well, we, and no, then, we just have to force everyone we know your age to read it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe listen. I, <laughs> I okay. okay, fine. <laughs> read, listen. I'm, 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 I'm a, the only, so the only thing is, is it read by Robert Kiyosaki himself? I believe so. I think it is narrated by him. <sighs> yeah. He seems to be a very self-confident person. And I'm yeah. trying to say that in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think he deviates from the book, so. Okay. okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a good listen. And I definitely listened to it. I didn't read that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For the correct. Um, but yeah, my business book, I think mine, mine rides the line of self-improvement in business, but uh, it definitely kind of helped me um, in an understanding uh, business. And, and basically, uh, the book is Mastery, written by Robert Greene. And it talks about what it truly is to master a skill, whether it be work or personal. Uh, and, he, and he talks about what it takes um, to, to become a master. And so one thing that there's mentioned is like, there's no, like natural talent exists for example, in children, one kid can have natural talent to start, but if he doesn't practice, another kid with less talent starting out can can easily pass him 
over time. And so it, it goes in the effect of, you know, practice makes perfect or something similar to that effect. Um, if you're truly passionate about something, you can become, you know, a reach a level of mastery. And so picking something you're really interested in uh, for your career or your business is something that's really necessary for you to succeed because in order to reach mastery, and he kind of talks about the steps to mastery, you have to really want to understand a deeper involvement of that skill because of the time you have to do to put it in. And and he kind of goes of of the steps you have to take uh, to, to become a master. And so the goal when you're in a field isn't instant success or money, but it's to learn as much as possible. And the best way to learn is to have a person to, to guide you. Uh, it, and it kind of goes into um, learning under a mentor or, or whenever you start your first job, you're, you're really learning from someone. You typically don't know what you're doing. You might have a textbook understanding, but in practice, it's almost never the same, at least in my experience. You can understand, you know, whatever field you're working in conceptually, but in practice, it can be and feel a lot different. And so once you complete like a beginning apprenticeship or something, you have to then creatively think about the rules and challenge the rules you learn to continue to advance it. And as you continue to challenge what you've taught, you come up with new ways to solve around that skill and how to creatively expand your knowledge, just train your mind and work on more complex issues, which ultimately can lead to mastery. And once you have mastery, you can focus on larger goals. Like you, you've done so much work that it's, you know, automatic. You already know exactly what you have to do in that skill. And it leads you to focus on, on larger items and achieve like a higher purpose uh, with the skill you've mastered in. And so in the book, it describes it as 10,000 hours of, of, of true, you know, focused effort, concentrated effort on a skill to, to earn mastery. And that's, uh, a low end, I think 20,000 hours is is the true high end of like actual mastery of a skill. Um, and once you achieve that, you can really do a lot more and again, focus on larger portions of your life and um, how you've mastered a skill and how much it can help you. And, and so I think it was uh, it's one of my favorite books and I, I did I read it or listened to it during uh, my public accounting experience and it, it was just really interesting of like time concentrated and results from that and you have to really just love what you're doing in order to actually achieve mastery because if you if you aren't committed you you don't want to put time into it especially concentrated effort and time and ultimately you'll never achieve mastery and you'll never be able to achieve this like higher purpose and high, focus on larger goal because it just isn't interesting to you and and i found it I found it really interesting and it's something like I always think if I ever want to learn a skill, you have to like, like truly master a skill. Uh, you got to think about, hey, I got to put 10,000 hours of time to be, you know, 
a master at this skill. And it, it goes to show like how hard is mastery and also like how work for most people, most people spend a lot of their time at work and it's probably the number one skill in your life that you have and get to master. And so picking that right occupation or career can really help uh, in terms of like, what am I trying to master? And I, I found it just to be a really great reading talks about, you know, different scientists and how they weren't always the smartest, but you know, they just kept going, you know, they, they enjoyed it so much that they became leading scientists. They became this, they didn't start out that way. It's just, they had the passion and they had the continued drive and they kept putting in concentrated hours. And so it is, it's one of my favorite, uh, and again, it, it, it teeters on the line of business and personal development, but I've, I've always applied it in business because that's where, um, I, again, I, I've spent a lot of my time um, is within uh, my work realm. Okay. Well, so that's, it sounds like you're really excited about this. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to say that I am already following this as a lifestyle mantra you cannot imagine how many hours I've already put into goofing off. And it is not easy to master goofing off, Don, but I've done it. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've hit the 10,000-hour threshold, and I am <laughs> killing it now. I'm at that higher level that you described of goofing off that I can make it look like I'm doing something, but actually I'm just goofing off. <laughs> but no, that sounds pretty cool. It's obviously really excited about that book, so that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I have I, I I not read this, though. I, I am familiar with the 10,000-hour concept, yeah. but I have not read the book, so that's cool. Yeah, and I, I think the guy who wrote it is like a professor. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't want to mislead our listeners, but I think he studies like that specifically at whatever university is from um, and stuff like that. So Robert Greene, uh, he, he's a New York Times bestseller. The 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, The 33 Strategies of War, and The 50th Law. His highly anticipated fifth book, Mastery, examines the lives of great... Let's see, his full bio, let's see what he is, I don't know. He is. Uh, he attended UC Berkeley and the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he received a degree in classical studies. He currently lives in Los Angeles. I guess he writes books for a living now. Oh. It's good work if you can get it, right? I mean... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but, it's not goofing off, but it's it's something. I mean, you know, he's he's, he's doing something. He's, he's, yeah, he's, for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I really like that book. Um, it was already made from a guy in public accounting, and it, it was probably my favorite business book. Okay, fair enough. Well, now we're on the self improvement. Yeah, probably nobody's heard of my book, but they really should have. It's called Succeed: How We Can Reach Our Goals. Um. It's by Heidi Grant Hal Halverson, PhD, and was published in 2011. It's Succeed, How We Can Reach Our Goals. is arguably in the top one or two self-help books that I've read of all time because I think Heidi is a PhD in behavioral psychology or something along those lines, maybe, maybe even more sophisticated. I'm not really sure what her background is, but this book is based on scientific research. It's not some pop psychology self-help book. It is genuinely research-grounded stuff. And I really thought some of these concepts in there were simple but powerful, like 
how we can assure that we will behave a certain way in the future, um, what makes us happy, things like that. So not just goals and getting stuff done, but just like, you know, squad goals, man, life goals, stuff like that. So really good book. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. If, if you're looking for a self-help read, I, I highly recommend it. I haven't heard of that one, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah, so there's, she talks about the things that drive happiness. And I, I may get this wrong, but I believe it was three things. It was competency, connected, connectedness, and autonomy. Competency, I'm good at what I do. Connectedness, I am able to relate and engage with other people. I'm, I have a sense of community about me. And autonomy, I, I have free will. I have the choice to choose um, my own destiny. And those three things, more than any other factors, drive human happiness, according to the book. So it, it's a really good book. I, I enjoyed it a lot. So. My self-improvement book, I think, is pretty popular. Um, and that is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, and this is a, a interesting book. Uh, and it's something I am personally terrible at. And that is creating habits, uh, which is basically staying consistent um, and to the point where something is, is again, kind of automatic um, in, in your daily life and having uh, good behaviors um, to where you can include that uh, into practice and your routine, uh, which has a... Uh, compound growth in your life to to lead to a better life um, and that's making small changes every day to make your life better and so um, the concept is, is creating habits uh, which take 66 days straight of you doing something to create a, a habit now 66 is a number uh, but it is an average Truly, depending on the person, a habit could take 12 to 260 days. Um, so 66 is, um, a, I think, the, the median uh, or the average of what it is. So bad, know, based on bad different habits studies. take 12 days and good habits take 216 days or whatever you said. <laughs> is that how uh, it works? <laughs> yeah. Well, 18 <laughs> to 254 days for uh, a good habit uh, wow. on average on average 66 days but it can range from 18 to 254 depending on what type of person you are i'm a 254 day person <laughs> <laughs> i am just okay. terrible at habits and i think that's something where i know i know habits are so good but it's something you have to literally stick to um every day and it, it has to become automatic so, or yeah go ahead well i was gonna add so the the book i, I read this book love the book probably in my top two all time right behind self-improvement there's there's a book called 59 seconds self-improvement and atomic habits those are only three self-help books you ever need to read but um i guess there were different techniques in the book to help you used to develop good habits did you try any of them yeah i i had it and i think there there were four um and it's uh make it obvious 
uh, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, like, I can do. I, I love to innovate things in my daily life and and make it easier, but I'm just really bad at doing that every day. <laughs> like, okay. like I, I can design like. Uh, like whenever I lived alone, like it sounds crazy, but like just keep, I would keep all of my dishes right above the dishwasher. I lived alone. I was one person and I could do that. And so like, it was just like, I used to have them somewhere else and I'd have to walk from the dishwasher when they dried to go put them up and like, I put them right above the dishwasher and I could just not move and put it up. And I know that sounds really dumb, but in my head, I was like, this is what this book is talking about. Making something so small that you can just do, uh, to free up time and to make your life better. Um, I, but in terms of like different habits, like waking up. So like, I'm a, I'm a coffee drinker. I don't know if you are JJ. Oh yeah. But I mean, well, so quick aside, don't trust people who don't drink coffee, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, as we know, Starbucks is my favorite, but I can't get that every day. So in the morning, I always make my cup of coffee. Um, I do know that going for a walk gives you more energy than having a cup of coffee. But building the habit of me getting up, dressing perfectly, and then walking outside for 30 minutes before I start my day every day, I I know that's obvious. I could set out my shoes for it to be easy, and like I could listen to an audiobook while I do it, but I'm just... I'm terrible at it. Like, it, I, I can I can do it, but man, not every day. It I don't know. Like building that habit would be so difficult for me to not just immediately go for my quick cup of coffee than to go for a 10, 15 minute walk to get my energy level okay. in the day. Um, and that's where where I struggle is just like finding that because that it's it's hard to carve out you know that type of time. And like that level of like really good habit, and I know that that would be better for me, but I it, I I struggle with it. But it's also like I, I do love this book because it makes me think like, hey, how can I make my daily life better? Because I you live life pretty much every day. I think like well, I get... try to. Some days I don't, but I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. most days I, I, I'm I'm living it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the the average person gets you know seven percent of their life is time off. Um, and what? I think that's even being generous, like what, time what? to actually enjoy. Um, I, I don't you know say, the actual Did you statistic. say 7%? Yeah. It, it's something like of time you actually have. Uh, it, it, I, something, something like that. I, I would need to pull up the statistic. There's some thing. It's like your day that you do every day for the most part, it's an insane amount. So if you don't enjoy in like your your day routine, your average day, like that's that's kind of a problem because that's where you spend so much time is in like well, the average day. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, if if you're if you're in a job that you hate, then and you're working at least eight hours a day, five days a week, then you're miserable eight hours a day, five days a week. That's just dumb, right? That that is, I think, what is it that I don't know about your statistic, but I think <laughs> my statistic is you work like a third of your life, basically. Right. And then the other third is sleeping. So you have, you know, one third left for everything else. Yeah. Um, so it, you don't want your existence to be miserable. And if it is, you need to work actively to figure out a way 
to manage that. Um, yeah, but even just having habits every day that make it better, uh, I think is is the point of that that point zero one percent improving every day uh, to the point where again it's like automatic. You're in a you have these really great habits that repeat themselves because you trained your brain for this habit to be automatic. And I think, you know, it's something I aspire to and something like I did better before and I don't do it as well right now. Um, and, and something I definitely strive towards, uh, but can definitely fall off the wagon. Well, maybe you should read wink, wink the book again <laughs> and give it another go. There was, uh, so you talked about the four, like the, 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 evo- the triggers of like from the, trigger moment to the to the satisfaction moment of a habit and why we have habits in the first place but there was some techniques in there for different phases of that and one of the techniques was called habit stacking so if you have something that you do every day and you want to insert a good habit you associate the two right so believe it or not i decided i was going to try this because i hate doing push-ups i feel like i need to do push-ups hate doing push-ups it's like it's tedious I said, okay, I'm going to do push-ups every day before I shower. So I started off, I'm going to shower, I'm going to do some push-ups, I'll hop in a shower. Well, I did that for a while, and I'm going to tell you a secret, Don, I hate push-ups. I just don't want to do it. It's not my thing. But man, if I get into the shower without doing push-ups, I'm like, man, I forgot my push-ups. Because even though I'm not doing it very frequently now in my brain, I have wired those two things together almost inadvertently. So now instead of doing the push-ups, I chastise myself for not doing the push-ups before I shower, which is still an action, not the action <laughs> I was looking for, but you know, it's yeah. just, what we had was a, I created a new habit that yeah, was I think not you useful. Get a feedback loop. I think that's a bad one. Okay. You yeah. Just it wasn't going exactly where I wanted to go, but at least I'm now upset with myself that I'm not doing push ups. <laughs> For a second, though, I thought you were going to say, I just stopped showering. <laughs> Once you said, well, I wasn't doing the push ups. No, so. no, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely showering. I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Um, well, cool. Yeah. Uh, good good choice. Excellent book. Excellent book. Yeah. Everyone should read it. It's a, it, James Clear does an outstanding job, I think, outlining sort of the architecture of a habit and how we can form good ones. So it's excellent book. Yeah. Uh, So go ahead. Now it's just what what we enjoy. So we're going to wrap this up in style. (laughs) I think, well, I'm going to wrap it up. You've got a book. I I, I don't believe I've ever read your book. I I don't know. Have you read my book? I've never even heard of your book. Oh my gosh. So uh, this, maybe we're both going to be open up to a new world. So my book for personal enjoyment, this is a a series of books called The Reckoners. And I just listed the first book, which is called Steelheart, The Reckoners Book One. Um, It was written by Brandon Sanders and published back in 2013. And Steelheart is the story of a world where superheroes came into being but instead of being heroes, imagine they're just all selfish bad guys. So everyone who got superpowers just used them for their own gain and to the detriment of humanity. But there's a whole storyline about the Reckoners, which is a group of people who are trying to, almost like a resistance against these superheroes that control the world, if you will. 
and it's just a really really well written story it's 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 just it's just really good and um i i i you know i won't i won't tell you the whole storyline but I, even as i sit here and talk about it i just i remember individual moments from the book and how the reckoners were waging you know guerrilla war against the the uh you know against the heroes and how the, it's it's just a really really neat story. You should you should definitely if you haven't read the the Reckoner series, y you'll enjoy it. I think you really will enjoy it. Okay, cool. Well, mine is uh, a teenage book, so um, it's a, a coming of age novel by Stefan Chabowski, um, and essentially it so, follows a. So yeah, just, this is the perks of being a wallflower. Just. Oh yeah, yeah. Perks of being a wallflower. Forgot so, to name the title. Before you describe it, I gotta ask: Was it wasn't this made into a movie? It was made okay. into a movie later with Emma Watson, okay. and I don't remember the other people. Uh, and it, uh, the movie was okay adaption. Um, and, and I say that like, like I watch, you know, or read a lot of books. There's there's maybe like three or four books I've ever read that I then watch the the uh, movie later. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but this one's all right. This one's all right. So so um, your favorite personal enjoyment book is a girl's coming of age novel? Uh no, so she's not the main character. Okay. I don't I'm remember just... who <laughs> I just remember Emma Watson. I that's, okay. uh, that's the star of the show. Don, but... I'm I'm not judging, I was just asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, it is basically for teenagers. The book is, uh, but it it's follows Charlie, who's a introverted teenage boy, uh, where he starts his freshman year of high school. Basically, uh, he falls in love and faces traumatic past, uh, and struggles to learn who he is and how he fits in the world, and learns a lot about life. Uh, and it's mm. a really, really great read um just like his whole story and and coming to um you know his life and it has an interesting ending but like i don't know just like it just hits right i i related to it a lot growing up i was a really introverted teen um and so just it, it was super relatable whenever i was uh you know coming of age as well and so it, it was just a really enjoyable read because i i could relate so much uh to to charlie and it, it really is like a like an introverted like if you're introverted you're gonna read this book like, oh yeah I, this totally this totally works like uh you know and, and totally relatable uh, and in essence of the title is like you know the benefits of, of being a wallflower being you know a fly on the wall um and you know w what comes with that territory of like being introverted and uh how it can be a good thing and as well as like once you learn more about yourself and how you have power behind it. And so I, I just really, really great book. Um, okay. Still, still an all time favorite. Well, that's awesome. No, I, uh, so do you still consider yourself an introvert today? I would say, so I definitely learn towards introverted. Like I, I, I stay with people. I know I don't branch out. Like in college, I became extroverted, and then like after college, I, I rebrought it in. I was like, "Oh, that was a lot of effort and did a lot of things." But like, I, I've made a lot of friends, uh, and I'm good with 
Okay. All of them we don't need to expand the circle of friends here. We're good, right? Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm still like I'm not near as introverted as I used to be. Like I, I can make conversation with people, and you know I don't have any issues with like that like I did before. Uh, before it, it was like painful, and I, I really didn't know how to initiate conversation and like you know go with the flow type of thing. But um, you know that I definitely learned that a lot better in college. Um, and even towards like end of high school, I was still better, but I was still pretty awkward. So, so uh, I think that's hard for everybody. So I, I say not everybody. I, so I, I used to fancy myself an introvert, but I've been often accused of being an extrovert, and I'm very gregarious. But it doesn't matter to me how confident I might feel it's still easy enough for me to walk in a room and feel alone in a crowd uh, if especially if I don't know the people there right um right I don't think there's any I don't think it, it, it's interesting right I mean especially today there's a lot of kids young people that are facing all kinds of interesting challenges in terms of identity crises and things and I think Books that speak to that will really resonate with those folks, right? To help them process that we all go through an evolution to find our way into life, right? We're, everybody's going to take a different path. So if, if, if that one spoke to you, that's awesome that it was there when, when you needed something like that to speak to you, right? Yeah. It makes and mine it, feel so trite by comparison, but okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> we all enjoy our, our own things. And I'm sure yours is just as good, if not better. Well, I'll tell you, so I was described in high school as quiet. It wasn't that I was an introvert. I just, if I didn't know you, I wasn't going to speak up because I wasn't forthright. I wasn't assertive. As I've gotten older, I've gotten less interested in what other people think because it's a benefit of getting older. And then it's like, well, I'm going to say what I want to say. I don't care what you think. And then at that point, it gets easier to communicate. But I guess as a as a as a middle schooler, um, I tended to read and and okay. And here, Don, I tended to read books like you know with pages and stuff where there was flipping and there was actual reading and the books didn't talk to me while I was driving my car <laughs> or, or, or not walking to get my exercise in the morning. But I would read books and it was kind of escapism for me because I could, you know, I could leave the world that I lived in and get lost inside those books. So for me, it was, it was just, just like television. It was just a way to sort of suspend reality and be someplace else. And it really fueled my, my interest in just like, space opera and grand adventure and things like that because uh, you know it's it's the kind of stuff you don't get to experience in your everyday life but maybe you hearken for something bigger and so that that's what reading was for me as a child so I, I didn't have a particular book like this it was more the whole idea of reading that i would sort of get lost in yeah yeah but, I, I had a game boy so okay yeah. smart like <laughs> some of us <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about. It. Why am I even? Why do I even talk to you? What? Why, why did yeah, I start I, this in the I, first place? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand? It's like it, it, I I relate because I did the same thing in know, a game boy. <laughs> right, right. That was talking to you. Okay. Yeah, it really was. It was uh. <laughs> parallels right there. I mean, 
Oh, yeah, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm old enough that I remember the days before handheld consoles there. How about that? So, Yeah, dark days. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. If you had to choose a book or a game, or, you know, let's say a Nintendo Switch, in your childhood, which would you pick? Depends on the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you would want the Switch... So I played video games when I was in high school a lot and they were fine, but they were console games and just like the Switch, they were very repetitive and it was cool for a minute. But then I got to the point where I don't like console games anymore because of that repetition. I'd far rather play games like, I like like MOBAs and PvP okay, games. So a Steam Deck instead of a book and your child <laughs> or you all can right, play right, right. fine fine i'd choose the steam deck <laughs> all right are you right. happy i am i am a little bit happier yeah do you feel I vindicated the steam deck too so <laughs> if you feel vindicated that's fine as long as, long as, as, long as it makes you happy Don. Yeah. all right well we have probably hit the hour and these poor people need to go and do something constructive with their life instead of listening to us ramble on about silly things or or, no i'm sorry really important things (laughs) no i think they had a lot of fun you know listening about funds so (laughs) come on man how how many episodes are you gonna make that joke now Uh, as as, as many just, as the fun is a lot, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, the, 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 the tagline on our next episode will be fun with funds. No, we're not. We're not going to yeah. do that. We'll find something. No, that sounds like a good title. Are I you kidding me right really now, like dude? Fun with funds. So I uh, defy you to find something fun about a mutual fund other than <laughs> it growing and making you a wealthy person, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But. Yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think we're on to something here. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like your your president. It's like remember Trump was make America great again, and Obama was hope and change. You're gonna be, uh, what what is what are you gonna be like? Uh, fun making funds fun again. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I got nothing. I got, I'm, I'm lost here. Funds for mm-hmm. friends and family. <laughs> Isn't it family and friends? But okay. <laughs> It's it's a lot of Fs. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the note we'll close. <laughs> a lot of Fs. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, Don, it's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fun. It sure Don, it's been fun. It sure has. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we will do it again real soon. Thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, sounds good. Have a good night. You too. Bye. This podcast is not financial advice. We are not financial advisors, and content is for entertainment and educational purposes only. You should do your own research or consult a professional investment advisor before making any investment decisions. And as always, thanks for listening to the Piggy Bank Chronicles.